Hello there, you're listening to Expat Property Story, the podcast for expats investing in UK property with listeners in more than 140 countries. And in the first 126 episodes, one theme has cropped up time and time again, and it's the idea of reverse engineering. So if you're struggling with how to get your UK property story past page one, or you're just looking for inspiration about how to move forwards, or you're just after some tips and tricks to help your property progress, then you're in the right place. You're listening to Expat Property Story, a podcast in which I share my story to smooth the way for you to have your own Expat Property Story. Welcome to episode 127. And if you're a regular here, you'll know that I usually sum up interviews with my amazing guests with three takeaways or highlights to think about. Well, more than a few times, the key takeaway has been to start with the end in mind. So I thought I'd do an episode about 10 ways to reverse engineer your property story. So here are my 10 things to reverse engineer when building a UK property portfolio. 1. Goals This is probably the most important one of the 10. Everything you do in property should relate to your goals. For us, We're investing in UK property as a means to replace our incomes and get back to the UK when we no longer want to work for others and can instead focus on travelling and helping refugees. But you will have your own reasons for wanting to build a portfolio and it's better, though not essential, to be really clear on this from the start rather than just buying property because everyone says you can't go wrong with property. To a large degree, that's true, but you can go a lot better and faster if you understand why you're buying property in the first place. One place to start could be to look at how much you think you'll need and when. That could be in a few years' time, if you're looking to replace your income and go full-time into property, or it could be in retirement in your later years. And on that, I finally got round to reading a book I've heard lots of people recommending recently called Die With Zero. I have to say that it was good, but not quite as good as I was expecting maybe because my expectations had been raised so much from hearing so many people talking about it. Anyway, I did like a couple of concepts in the book. Firstly, that this idea of saving for our retirement that's been drilled into us from previous generations may not be as sensible as we've been led to believe. The author, Bill Perkins, argues that we're better off living more fully and less frugally than the savers would advocate, since by the time we reach the traditional retirement age of 67, we'll be too tired and too old to do the things we spend our working life imagining we'll be doing while slaving away in the expat office. His second argument is that the more you set aside as an inheritance for your kids, the less they'll get after the government charges them inheritance tax for money that you've already paid income and value-added and potentially corporation and possibly capital gains tax on in the first place. Better to give them the money now when they might need it rather than when they're older and probably need it less. Many people are in their 40s, 50s and hopefully 60s when their parents pass away and as such have probably already got on the housing ladder but could have made better use of the money earlier. We're veering off topic here but the point is that your focus should, initially at least, be on the future. Longtime friend of the podcast Richard Brown metaphorically suggested buying a telescope and a microscope. The telescope is for looking to the horizon in terms of exploring your vision and goals and plans for the future, and then setting your strategy accordingly and making your plans relevant to you and to your lifestyle and what you want to achieve in life. And the microscope is for looking at the detail, the here and now, and how things are going to happen, and what you need to do it on a day-to-day basis. 
Richard convincingly argues that you can't have one without the other. You need the telescope to make vision boards and business planning documents and the microscope to analyse deals via spreadsheets or make checklists. Many investors at the start of their stories often make the mistake of asking themselves which strategy they should follow. But what you should be asking yourself is what outcome you're looking for, which will give you clues as to which business model is likely to suit your objectives, your plans and your vision. And the big bonus for adopting this approach is that it will save you spending £30,000 on a property course that teaches you a little about everything, but not enough about anything. If you do feel like you want to pay for education, then it's better if you can be clear on your objectives first and then seek out some specialised education or mentorship around a particular business model. So number one in our reverse engineering episode is goals. Two, structure. Closely related to goals and objectives is your tax structure, which you can only really work out when you've thought about your vision and written down your goals. Before you even think about looking at houses, it's probably worth getting everything in order in terms of your business. Getting the structure right from the beginning is really important because if you get it wrong or you want to change it further down the line, then that can be quite expensive. So again, you need to think carefully about your future plans. This is even more relevant for us expats. Are you intending to return to the UK? And if so, when? Do you have or are you planning to have children? Will you reinvest the profits or are you looking for cash flow in the here and now? Factors such as these will all help you structure your property business appropriately. When we started our expat property story, the government had recently introduced new legislation called Section 24, whereby interest payments would in most cases no longer be 100% tax deductible. Section 24 can potentially turn basic rate taxpayers into higher rate taxpayers, especially if you have other UK income, such as salaries. One way around this is to set up a limited company for purchasing property. But this can make mortgages more expensive and require the filing of company accounts via an accountant, which eats into your profits. But since our intention was not to work for others when we returned to the UK, it made sense to buy our first investment property individually rather than through a company, since in our case, it would not tip us into the higher rate tax bracket. But in a sense, it's easier to make plans for the future when you're nearer the end of your life than the beginning. What if you're an expat in your 30s and you don't know if you'll be returning to the UK? Then you might want to think about a mixed approach. So maybe you might buy your first few properties in your own name with the option of selling them further down the line to live off the proceeds during your retirement. And then perhaps if you do have children, properties bought with the intention of passing on to your children could be bought within a limited company as a way to minimise inheritance tax. As you can see, this is a topic that is incredibly nuanced and complicated and deserves not just an episode of its own, but a whole series. But don't worry, we have just that, as back in season one, we released a whole mini-season on UK property tax through an expat lens in episodes 23 to 29, covering ownership structure, group structure, capital gains tax, compliance, tax evasion, tax avoidance and tax planning, and finally, risk management. These are really popular episodes and an essential resource for expat UK property investors. So anyway, number two in our reverse engineering special is, as far as possible, to structure your business with the end in mind. 3. Mortgages Once you've made a decision on your structure, and after you've spoken to an accountant and a tax advisor, and one that understands expats, you probably need to speak to a broker. 
I say probably because you might decide to look at your business model and investment area first. But personally speaking, I think you might be better off finding out whether you can get lending at all in your own particular circumstances, particularly as an expat. Maybe, for example, you live in a country that's unfavorably placed on the Corruption Perception Index, which many lenders refer to when deciding whether to lend to you or not. Some will only lend if you live in the European Economic Area. Some will only lend in your personal name, while others only in a limited company structure, while still others have minimum values of £200,000. And if, like many expats, your spouse is a foreign national, there may be further complications and definitely higher interest rates if you can get lending at all. I could go on, but once again, if you want to know more about expat mortgages, we have just what you're looking for in episodes 15 and 16. Talking about mortgages in general, it's also a good idea to start with the end in mind. And there are lots of examples of this. If, for instance, you're buying a property to run a serviced accommodation, then before you complete your purchase, you should check the title and make sure there's no restrictive covenants. When we were looking for our SA units, I can't tell you how many properties we found that looked very promising until we found that dreaded clause in the title register, only to be used as a single private dwelling house. Who will check, I hear you thinking? Well, the lender's solicitor will, and will refuse lending on that basis. And in our recent deep dive into commercial valuations for HMOs in the two episodes immediately preceding this one, we established that the most significant factor in choosing your mortgage is working backwards from your preferred outcome. So if you're looking for the cheapest rate, your broker will be approaching different lenders than if your priority is securing as high a valuation as possible. Similarly, if you're looking to pull out some equity in a rising market, you might want to take out a two-year fix rather than a five. So number three is mortgages. And as with numbers one and two, which were goals and tax structure respectively, you have to work backwards from what you're trying to achieve. Four business model. Some call it strategy, some call it business model, you say tomato, etc, etc. But after and only after you've worked out your goals and your time frame and your structure and your mortgage ability, it will be time to work out how you're going to get there. Maybe you're happy in your expat job and you don't need the income for 10 or 20 years, in which case, and only once interest rates calm down, good old-fashioned buy-to-lets will get you where you want to be, especially if past performance does in fact guarantee future results, given that capital prices double on average every 10 years and rents double every 20. I'd just turned 50 when we realised that our independent financial advisor was less independent than I'd naively bargained for, and his advice was rubbish. So we ditched him and started investing in UK property. But time was against us, and we couldn't afford to wait for capital growth. So we needed a high cash-flowing strategy which led us to HMOs. Full story in Season 1. But perhaps if you're in your 20s and you have no funds, you could get some experience working in an estate agency and transition into deal packaging and sourcing. Maybe, if you're a builder, you could partner up with an investor. If you have some capital but it's not enough, you could adopt the buy three, sell two, hold one approach. Either way, the point is, if you start with your goals and your structure and your mortgage ability, your business model will come out naturally. The main thing to remember is that your circumstances will dictate your strategy. If you live in a seaside town and you have family members you can trust to manage your properties, then maybe holiday lets could be your business model. If your brother-in-law has got his own construction firm and you know your hometown like the back of your hand, 
then maybe reconfiguring two-bed houses into three beds could be your thing. And there are lots of possibilities out there, such as standard buy-to-lets, HMOs, serviced accommodation, flips, commercial-to-residential, auction trading, title splits, planning gain, short lease extensions, social housing, bungalow extensions, development, commercial buy-to-let, commercial multiple occupancy, otherwise known as CMOs. And don't forget, investing in others, which can give you greater returns than a single let, but without all the hassle. And even within all those models, there are nuances and differences. HMOs could be for students or professionals or social housing. I could go on, but you get the picture. And if you've reverse engineered all of the first four items in today's episode, you'll have an even clearer picture of what's likely to work best for you. 5. Investment Area This one is not as obvious as goals or structures or mortgages, but even your choice of investment area arguably needs a little bit of reverse engineering. Hopefully, you will already know that the three most important factors in choosing a place to invest are population, employment and infrastructure. So a smart way to think about this is again to look into the future. Use the Office for National Statistics to hunt down those areas with strong population growth forecasts. Look for locations earmarked for significant infrastructure and growth plans. And if, in your chosen location, the population is set to increase and there are good employment prospects and perhaps regeneration projects in the pipeline, then you won't go too far wrong over the long term. A good place to start, as I've mentioned before, is the Towns Fund, the government's initiative to increase economic growth in 100 towns. And as Akhil Patel, expert on the 18-year property cycle, pointed out in episode 115, the towns and cities that are most likely to be the quickest to recover after a correction will be the ones that have had or will have some sort of economic stimulus. People move in search of work and they typically move to the larger cities because that's where the most opportunities are likely to be. And when there's a surge of people into a location with limited supply of available property, the end result is higher rents which will eventually translate to capital growth. So, the fourth thing to reverse engineer is your investment area. Make sure that the fundamental elements of population, employment and infrastructure are in place wherever you choose to invest. Unless, of course, you have a beautiful cottage well off the beaten track in the heart of the Cairngorms. So, we're halfway through. 6. Letting Agents Say you've done all of the above and you've decided on Bristol. It's got a growing population, lots of employment opportunities and good infrastructure. What's the next step? Buy a property? Not so fast, says one of my earliest guests, Helen Gobboldied, on one of my favourite episodes from the back catalogue, number seven. Helen is a property consultant who spends too much of her time working pro bono on situations where investors have been taken in by the shiny brochures of off-plan new build developments and lost their money. She tries to point investors towards decent letting agents first. As she says, you can buy a property, all the numbers stack up, all the boxes are ticked, but if you haven't got a really good letting agent, you're going to really struggle with that property. Helen suggests building your relationship with a good letting agent first. So if you know what location or what area you want to invest in, start talking to the letting agents. Tell them that you're an investor, that you're serious. Get their feedback. Build a relationship. They're not going to recommend a property to you that's going to be difficult for them to let or that's in the wrong area to get good tenants. 
because you'll be asking them to manage it. So it's really important to choose the right letting agent. And if you don't have the time to do the necessary due diligence to find the best letting agent in your given location and to check that they're compliant, ethical, proactive and have good reviews from their tenants, then Helen can do it for you. We ourselves paid Helen to find us a good solicitor, so I can definitely recommend her. 7. The Numbers Only the super wealthy born with a silver spoon in their mouths would buy up loads of property without running the numbers first. Whatever strategy you eventually settle on after working out your goals and structure and mortgageability, etc., you want to be putting everything into a spreadsheet so that you can start making offers on whatever it is that you're looking to purchase. Examples of numbers to enter into your deal analysis Excel file might include purchase costs such as stamp duty land tax, broker fees, solicitor and conveyancing fees, refurb costs, finance costs during the refurb phase, estate agent's fees if you're flipping, mortgage interest rates, likely rents, a second set of broker rates and solicitor's fees if you're refinancing, allowances for maintenance and voids, insurance costs, utility bills, and lots of other numbers that you're thinking of now but which haven't sprung to my mind. You want to build your own deal analysis custom-built for the strategy you've chosen so that you can work backwards to and not forward from the purchase price. Because once you've established your deal criteria, the spreadsheet will point you towards the price you need to be paying to achieve the criteria you've set. This could be the profit on a flip or the return of capital employed or a percentage of funds left in the deal or a price per HMO room, or a combination of any or all of the above. So again, you're working backwards with the end in mind, so that you make your offers according to your deal criteria. After that, it's a numbers game. The more offers you put in, the more success you'll have. It's not just a cliche to say that you make your money when you buy. And remember that one in three properties sold subject to contract subsequently falls through, and returns to the market with a motivated seller who is then more likely to accept your lower offer if you can offer speed or certainty or both. A seller can't have speed, certainty and price. At least one of them has to give. And if you've reverse engineered everything and you're organised, you can provide speed and certainty in return for a good price. 8. Refurb and Design Beginning to sound like a broken record now, But when refurbishing a property, you need to do so with the end in mind. And while an SA unit, for example, will be refurbished before it's staged for photos, it's the design that will dictate the refurb, and it's the target tenant type that will dictate the design. So again, we're working backwards from the end. In episode 112, the excellent Julian Maurice went to great lengths to point out that design is probably more about functionality for the end user than it is for aesthetics. Julian emphasised that if you've got a product, it has to perform a function and use kitchens as an example. One of the things you have to think about is how many people the kitchen is for and what all those people will need for that kitchen to function properly. An HMO bedroom will be different to a normal bedroom in a home with a separate living room or office. The HMO room will potentially need to be all three, so would need to be bigger, which needs to be considered at the floor plan stage get these details wrong in an HMO and you'll have more voids and less profits. So refurb and design, which go hand in hand, should also be reverse engineered. 9. Journal 
tenuous, this one. But if you're like me and you have a memory like a fish, there will come a time when you wish you could remember that tiny little detail or name or place or intuition or learning or whatever it is that's lurking somewhere deep inside your head, but which you've got no chance of remembering unless you keep a journal and write in it regularly so that you can command or control F keywords until you find what you're looking for. I know that in the future, I want to remember something that's in the present. So personally, I'm reverse engineering my poor memory. Before I reveal the 10th and final feat of reverse engineering, let me quickly remind you of the first nine. One was goals. Two, structure. Three, mortgages. Four, your business model. Five, investment area. Six, letting agent. Seven, the numbers. Eight, refurb and design. And nine, journal. Which brings us to ten. Visualization. The ultimate example of reverse engineering is to visualize your future as you'd like it to be. So, close your eyes and for the next five seconds, think of the final chapter of your expat property story in all its glory. Now, go and make it happen. You've been listening to X